love to. Be great. I was trying to think of, of a visual explanation about what we're talking about today because we're dealing with genuine. Gee, this, the fourth in our series, well, we missed a little bit this morning, but it's still in the guides there and have a look through it, being genuine in faith. But tonight we're going to talk about being genuine in love. Last week we talked about being genuine in speech. If we as the church of God are going to be who God wants us to be, then we need to be genuine. We need to be real. I was trying to think of some way of doing it. I've done this beforehand. Every now and then I try and work out what's the difference between a hard-boiled and a soft-boiled egg. Now you guys should know this already, but I'm going to do it anyways because it's always interesting. How you tell if they kind of look the same, which is hard-boiled and which is soft-boiled. Now I've boiled these beforehand and you're never quite exactly sure which one is which at times. How can you tell without, you know, the general? Sometimes it's really easy and you know they're not real, right? Anybody else out there want one of these? Anyone out there younger than 10? Excuse me for a second. He popped his hand up and he's younger than 10, so that's fair. Sometimes you can tell by looking really, really hard. So one of these I boiled for a really long time. That's this one. You can tell it's got the cracks shining through and you can sometimes tell because you can, you can see on the outside the visible bits and pieces. It's all ending up to really how do you tell what a genuine Christian is like? And in some ways we're a little bit like this. Sometimes I was chatting with a guy this week. Someone who comes to one of our congregations and we were talking about his role in his ministry. And I said to him, if you were to go and ask, if I was to go and talk to your friends, the people you go to university with, and I said to them, what about you tells me about your faith? What would they say? What would they tell me about your faith by the way that you do? What could they tell me from just you living before them? And there was silence. And he said, well... Can I pick the friend? Because there are some people whom we're, we're kind of talking about, but others we just really know, don't know. I mean, there, there are very simple ways of doing it. You can do the Mork and Mindy type thing, fly, be free. But the problem is when you do that, you can't really use the egg for anything more. All right? That one is not hard-boiled. Right? I once did this and I forgot to put the tarp down. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble with the church, but fortunately it had cement floors and it was really easy to clean up after a day or two. Um, sometimes you think, well, maybe if, if you put them and stand them in a particular way. But the problem is I've found the only way you can really do that is if you kind of... But even then, really, there's not much difference between them. All right, that one's soft and that one's hard. But again, they're not much use for anything after that. And so often I think when Christian people do things, we kind of want to wait until the very end of life, the whole Mork and Mindy show, to see whether or not we're Christians. And I remember working with another chaplain when I was working as a chaplain, and the kids were talking to us and they said, are you going to heaven? Are you a follower of God? And this person I was working with said, I don't know till I get there. 
I was talking with a man this week. I was at a meeting last night actually and uh, I was having a chat with him and I said, <laughs> we were just talking and you know how you kind of get around to Christian things. It was a Christian meeting. I said, so um, I haven't seen you at church. He said, oh, I, I don't actually go to church. I said, oh, so you don't believe? He said, no, I'm a Christian. He said, but I don't believe that God actually wants us to get fanatical and do things like go to church and all that sort of stuff. He's there and we just kind of live and at the end it'll work its way out. What's going to happen is I'll fly through life hard-boiled. And when I get there, I'll find out what I am. And I said, so really, why do you call yourself a Christian? I might as well call you a Muslim or a Buddhist because you really it's just any sort of God. You're just kind of happy to kind of drift through life. I can't understand why he looked a little shocked at me. But he said, no, I'm a Christian because I've kind of been involved in Christian things since I'd grown up. And that's why it's really, really hard sometimes how to tell a genuine Christian. You can, though, and I suppose this is the crunch of it that's going to come out in our sermon. The easiest way to tell them, you can do it by shaking, but I'm deaf, so that never helps me at all. All right? I can shake away. And you can't do that with people because it's abuse. <laughs> right? And you're never sure what's going to come out. <laughs> so be really careful. That's what I'm saying. Right? But you can tell because you can actually tell it's a physics thing. And I used to do this in my physics class. You can tell by how they move, whether it's got fluid inside or whether it's solid. I know this one's hard-boiled. <laughs> right? So how do you tell? Well, if you spin them, non-boiled ones kind of just sit. They kind of flop. Right? Hard-boiled ones, when you spin them, sorry, actually spin and then they stand up on their ends. You can tell by the way that they move whether or not they're hard-boiled or not. And what we're going to talk about today is that Christians are pretty much the same as that. Does our movement make us a Christian? The answer is no. We understand, as we've talked about many times, and if you've been involved in the church here or you've read the scriptures, becoming a Christian is a relationship that we have with Jesus. We've acknowledged that he made the world. We've sinned. We've broken our relationship with him. We've rebelled against God. But Jesus Christ came and he dealt with that. We've been reconciled to God and we've now become his children. That's how we become Christians in repentance and faith. But see, over the last few weeks, months, we've also mentioned the fact that it's really hard to tell. The scriptures talk about we need to persevere through to the end. And the passage we looked at tonight is saying the same thing again. But how can you tell? Because in 1 John, which is the passage we're coming from, there was heresies going on. And some people were saying you've got to be like this to be a Christian. Others were saying you've got to be like this to be a Christian. And John the Apostle, he comes and he gives us a little few indications of how to tell a genuine Christian. Now I'm going to look at three passages from 1 John to start with. Something from James and then back to 1 John. So there's five 
ways that I think we can begin to look and look at ourselves more than looking at others at the moment. Looking at ourselves, how am I going to show that I'm a genuine believer in Christ Jesus, that I'm a genuine Christian? I'm going to go back up there. That way everyone can see me. And the first one from 1 John chapter 2 that we had a look at is in the first few verses from verse 3 onwards. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. We know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. So the first way, how do we show that we're a genuine Christian? It's by obeying God's commandments. Obeying God's commandments doesn't, not by doing those things do we achieve salvation, but if we know God, if we understand who he is, if we've come into a relationship with God, John says we can't enter into that relationship with God without the result of it being that we obey his commandments. He says if you realise who God is and what God has done for you, your reaction, being aware of who he is, is going to cause you to have a change in your lifestyle. You will read his word, you will understand what he says and your inclination will be by the spirit working in you He's God. He made everything. He made me for a reason. He saved me for a reason. I will do what he says. So have a look at yourself. If we're truly going to be genuine, because it's not only us looking at us, it's the other people around looking at us and we being genuine amongst each other. Do we keep his commandments? Do we obey his laws and there there are lots of them we've heard them from growing up don't lie don't steal don't commit adultery love one another be patient be kind sometimes we think well that's just far too much but you see if we love him if we know him we'll want to do what pleases him we'll obey his commandments I've told you before about my wife and my relationship I wasn't always neat and tidy and having a shower every day. I was a normal teenage guy. My parents, I think, could tell when my attitude to the other fair agenda changed. I think it was, I think, day two, I'd had a shower three days in a row. My mum said, who is she? (laughs) I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, I can't smell you from here. We lived in Townsville, it was a very potent place. You know. I have no idea what they were going on. But I grew up in Ethiopia and Ethiopians say if you wash too often, you smell. And I figured, I'm fine with that. But for some reason I stopped doing that when I fell in love. And basically, John is saying, if you know who God is and your relationship with him is you understand what he's done for you and what he's doing for you and who he is. Your life will change. And one way it will change is that you obey his commandments. He then goes on to say, 
This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. If we are in Christ, then his image will be reflected in us. If it's not being reflected in us, then there's this huge question... That looks like a love heart. There's a huge question... Other way around. There's a huge question mark. Whose image are we reflecting? Because the scriptures teach clearly that if we are like Jesus, That's a sign for us that we're in him. Jesus goes on about being in him in the vine. The fruit's going to show because we're being like Christ. My top moment as a young teacher in terms of my Christian self-image happened in about one and a half years into my first job at at a school. I was up in Townsville. I was one of the maths and science staff room. And I was sitting there, I was only young, I would have been about... <clears throat> and um, I, I tried to make myself look older by starting my growth in the beard. I started it at uni, in fact, but I wanted it so that as a young teacher I would be a little bit more commanding in front of the students. And it was a little bit bushier than it is now, kind of like it's going to look in about a week and a half. And I was sitting there doing my maths and this kid knocks at the door. And this other teacher goes to see him and he says, I'm supposed to give a message to a teacher. And this teacher said to him, which teacher? He says, I don't know his name. You know, the one that looks like Jesus. (laughs) Now, I think he did it because of the beard, not everything else. But what surprised me is everybody in the staff turned around and looked at me. Right? Now, that was because of my outward physique. I didn't quite look. Up here was good. This has changed, right? But the outward. But John here is talking about the life that we live in front of people. He's saying it should be obvious to others and to ourselves that we are like him. One of the good reasons to read through the Gospels is to see how Jesus operated in situations, how he loved people, how he responded to sin, how he dealt with problems how he forgave. Sometimes it is a struggle to remember all those commands. But if Christ is living in us, a natural reaction is to begin thinking, what would my Saviour be like? What would my Saviour do? You see, if there's not the sort of questions we're constantly asking ourselves, then we need to ask this other question, are we being genuine by saying we're a Christian? Because genuine believers are like Jesus. We're like him in so many ways. John kind of starts out with all those commands and then he simplifies it a little bit and says, okay guys, you've got to be like Jesus. Then number three, down in verse nine. Anyone who claims to be in the light, in God, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. 
Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. He's just said that those who walk and look like Jesus are in the light because the light that was shining in him is beginning to shine in them. And then he says, that's what you've got to live like. And then his third point is, it's, it's evident. If you want to pick something about Jesus that becomes evident to show that you genuinely are walking in him and you know him, look at how you deal with one another. And particularly here, I think he's talking about loving the family. Us, each other, how we deal with the other sons and daughters of God. See, Jesus said that people will know we're his disciples if we love one another. And John picks this up. And John says to us, how do people know you're genuine? By the love that you have for one another. You can evaluate your own life and you can see how people see you about Jesus. But the third way is you can have a look at how you treat the people around you. Are you at enmity with them? Do you not like them? See, John says that you can tell someone who's a genuine Christian by how they love the people around them who are part of the family. Love means putting yourself out for them. I'm going to pick on Luber again. Do you have any idea how nasty little babies poop is? If you're not a parent, you can't know. Now that was actually pretty mild, I've got to be honest. No odour or anything. Luba was up and doing it, putting herself out for the family. And I saw that before the service, some people jumping up to help set the the chairs out for the family. There's service things that are really important, but there are other ways, ways that we pray for one another. Ways that we give of our time and our energy and our effort for one another. You know, it's not easy looking after little kids on a Wednesday morning. But it is a sign of love for the family that we go and do things like that. And so just ask yourself this question. Am I caring and putting myself out for this group of people? Because if you're not, if you're coming and you're sitting here and really most of your time is spent on the person who's sitting in your chair then genuineness is not really that evident. John's telling us these things not because he wants us to put ourselves in one camp or another and say, this is where I have to stay because I'm stuck here. He's trying to encourage us to move into the light. Because I've met a lot of people who really do want in, in their conversation with them to follow Jesus. They're just kind of stuck. They're not taking that step. Again this week, I was having a chat with a gentleman. When he was about 15, he went through water baptism in a Baptist church. He committed his life to Jesus. And I'm talking to him 30 years later plus. And he says, I'm struggling. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I haven't done it. He made the comment that for those years he hasn't felt right because he's never yet done what he promised. And John here is saying, you as 
the people of God. Take that genuineness and put it into your life. Obey his commands. Live like Jesus. Love one another. Two more. Over in James chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, it says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And they were showing favouritism. They were ignoring the poor. I remember back when I was in um, high school, grade 11, 12, we, which I think it was probably a year after that when we went back to teach. And um, we were running a youth group and we had a youth meeting in the evening and we had a guest speaker coming from another church that no one in the congregation had met. He was a youth leader. And he didn't turn up. But instead this bedraggled person with three or four days growth, smelling of stale beer and other liquids, came in and sat in the front couple of seats of the pew. And everybody very kindly gave him space to himself so that he could meditate and nobody said anything to him. And the preacher didn't turn up but when it got time for the preacher to turn up we said, look, we'd like to welcome so-and-so to come and preach and this guy just hopped up and came to speak. He, he was the youth guy from elsewhere. No one had talked to him. No one had said hello to him. No one had welcomed him. If he had come dressed in a nice suit or even just in cool youth clothes or whatever, everyone would have been all over him like a rash. But we showed favouritism. James says, genuine Christians in their love don't do that. We understand what God has done for us and that all of us as human beings are in the same boat. The distinction is not there to be made between us. We're to love one another and to help bring people to God. He says, don't you show favouritism. So how do we show genuineness? I want you to have a quick think about yourself. You know, okay. I, I loved it when Gary this morning said, this is my home church so I can say that death stinks. Do you hear this morning you remember that? So I've noticed every now and then that there's a potential for us to sit in our clique our little groups of people that we like and that we get on with. Sometimes I've met people who sit on one side of the church who have never met people who sit on the other side of the church. And the idea might be, well, I actually don't sit on that side of the church. And the question is, do we do that because we like sitting with people like us or it's just it's more comfortable on that side of the church? And I don't want to make a judgment here, but I think sometimes we do like people like us 
And James says, we're not like that. If we're the family of God, we love each other. We don't show favourites. We don't get into those sorts of groups. Yes, we have people who are close to us, who can encourage us and equip us. We have people who, who can pray for us and keep us accountable. But if we're a family, we don't show favouritism. And particularly if people come from the outside, we don't do that. And as we go out, we don't do that. My dad's a doctor and he's a mission doctor. One of the things that always, um, I suppose, amazed me growing up and amazed me even still now when I go and visit him is we'll walk into a, a hospital in the back blocks of Ethiopia and they're not like hospitals here. I mean, hospitals here smell bad, right? But they smell bad from antiseptic and disinfectant. Hospitals in Africa smell bad from urine and feces and sores and flies and maggots. You just name it. It's awful. And we'll go in and I'll go walking with him to, to walk around and see what he's doing if I'm visiting with him. And there'll be this patient lying on a bed who's just come in. And you have mud and blood and torn clothes that have never been washed and just smelling like I used to or worse when I was a young guy. And everyone's kind of standing back from this person a little bit. Uh, it never seems to amaze me. All my dad normally just goes, he just walks up and he reaches over and he'll grab them by the hand or he'll give them a kiss on the cheek or he'll give them a hug and say, well, I'm here for you, we're going to work on this. That's always been the picture in my mind of what James is saying here. There's no favouritism. There aren't those things that cause barriers between us. And if you find there are those barriers that are coming between you and someone else because you think maybe you're better than them or they're better than you, it works both ways then the genuine believer doesn't hold that to be so. We esteem all for the love of Christ. That's what genuine believers do. Fifthly, how do you tell a genuine believer? 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We can tell about ourselves and, believe it or not, those around us, those who are genuine believers by the way that they live their life those that obey the commands of God, those that look like Jesus in the way they treat and respect others, those who love within the family, those who don't play this favourite game, you can tell they're genuine. But there's one other sign that John brings out and he says those who are genuine Christians don't love the world. They don't love that which is against God. It doesn't mean that we don't love the poor in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't love the people in the world. It doesn't mean that we don't want to embrace all that God has made in the world. But all those things that are in rebellion against God, that's what John calls the world, he says those people who are Christians hate them. We don't love them. We actually push them away. They, if you like, they end up nauseating us. 
Sometimes I have a look at the way that Christians talk like the people who aren't believers talk. And you think, surely language like that is something that you would find offensive, so why would you do it? Or they look at things that the rest of the world says, this is great, and they say this is great. You think, if you've got the Holy Spirit living within you, surely you would say that's not great because the light is in you and you want to do God's will so you would reject that out of hand. And there are so many other examples. So I suppose what James and John are both saying is that Jesus in your life makes a difference to the way you live. And I suppose all I want to challenge you with tonight is to have a look at yourself. And say, as I live before the people around me, does my life of love for them and love in my behaviour and the way that I deal with things, does that show that I'm a follower of Christ or not? If it does, then that's fantastic because that's what we're called to. And it's an encouragement to you to say, yes, that's right. That's what I'm supposed to live like. I need to keep doing this to keep following the will of God. But if we do that and we have a look at ourselves and we say, I'm not sure that anybody having a look at the way that I behave, the way that I love, the way that I spend my time in the world is going to be able to tell that I'm a follower of Christ or not. It doesn't mean that we should fall into a deep, dark depression and wonder. What it means we should do is we should align ourselves with the will of God. It means we say, well, I really want to follow God because if I don't follow him, I'm in rebellion against him and I know the consequences of that. I'm an uncooked egg. Splat. And and that's not the end that we want because we want to spend life with God. And so we turn to him and we repent of the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done and we say, by your spirit, help me to live a life that pleases you. talking with another young guy this week. And he said, well, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm struggling with this whole sin thing. Kind of what you're saying. I'm trying not to do it. And I asked him the question, I said, if you do continue to do it, what do you think is the consequence at the end? He said, oh, I'm going to go to hell. And we had to have a conversation about that. That's not the attitude that John or James wants you to be thinking about. Because if Christ has saved you, he has covered all your sin. And all of us continue to sin. We always do things that aren't true and aren't right. And there are times we're not genuine and we go back and we do what we shouldn't do. Christ will forgive that. But the whole point of all of this is that we should be moving more and more into the light. So that's what John said. He says the light has come in terms of Christ. And he is beginning to shine, if you like, in the world. And he wants that to be a growing thing within us that we become more and more like Jesus. So that's my challenge to you this evening. If you have a look at yourself and you say, I'm not sure, then the challenge is to repent of those things you're not sure about and focus in on pleasing God. And if you're struggling to do that, because it can be a struggle, talk to somebody. If you know somebody who you admire as as a fellow believer or someone who you see as a Christian, go and talk to them and say, look, I need some help with this. Let them pray with you. Come up to the front at the end of the service and say, look, I'd like someone to pray with me about this. 
get together with someone during the week and say, look, I, as a part of the family of God, I need some help in this area. And if you're not sure at all that you've become a Christian, you can't really see a change. Then again, come and talk to someone and say, I'm not sure, and you can make sure tonight. And come and you can talk and we can discuss what it means to repent and come to Christ. Because he covers all our sin. So that's the challenge. That we as a family of God here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church become a group of people who are visibly genuine. By the way, we obey his commands. We look like Jesus. We love one another. We don't distinguish between people and show favoritism. And we push away the things of this world, because we just want to please God. Let's pray. Lord God, it's difficult when we have a talk about something like this, that sometimes we can feel depressed almost, it seems. And yet you ask us to think about these things so that we might truly be the people you've called us to be. And I pray for everyone here, myself included, that we might seek in this next week to live a genuine lifestyle before each other and a genuine lifestyle before the world because we want to lift Jesus higher. Father, help people to deal with any issues that have been raised that they've got concerns about. Help that to be dealt with tonight, Lord. And we ask that as we praise your name again now that you might empower us by your spirit to go out and to live lives that give Jesus glory. We ask this in his name. Amen.